Welcome to a new episode of the Kingdom Project Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Hall. And we're going to do like an overview summary of what we've been going over in the sermons as of late, which is Galatians. All right. So this is what I have planned out for this. I mean, there's always, you know, other episodes to be done. When I come across those uh, ideas and that information, I will do those. But in the meantime, what I have planned out here is Galatians. As you know, if you've been following with the sermons on Sunday, um, it's about a 28-week outline that I have come up with. So 28 weeks of going through Galatians. And so about every, I don't know, every four, some well, sometimes it's going to be three. There's going to be four weeks now. Right, and then it'll be three weeks, and then it's going to be like, I don't know, another four. But altogether, there'll be seven overview episodes to take that take place. All right, and the reason is you may you may get a little bit more information, you may get a little less information. But as far as this one goes, we'll be going over chapter one and looking at that um, as you know. Uh, outline type of deal so a summary if you will or an overview that's what we're doing so galatians definitely one of those magnificent letters of paul's it's a short version of romans if you will there's a lot that's been said about it a lot that's just been held on over you know the last 2000 years when it comes to this it's definitely his it's justification by faith and um, there's not not any more passion, like a passionate defense being had of the gospel than within this letter that's to the Galatians. So it's very important, and it's very important if you're mixing or trying to add or take away from the gospel. The gospel is Jesus and Jesus alone. Uh, it's just grace. And it's hard to grasp. We are a people who like to be told what we can do and not do. Um, we want rules. We want things to follow. And of course, you know, there's there's things to be done in the in the livelihood of a, of a believer. I mean, there's you know, people would refer to things as discipline and Christian disciplines and things like that. Reading the word, praying, worshiping, giving, whether it's finances or uh, time or anything like that. Loving, um, being a good wife, a husband, child, parent, worker, all that type of stuff. And there's commands from the Old Testament from the law that have been commanded to us in the New Testament, in the um, in the writings that we have there. So um, there are things like that. So it's not throwing everything out, but it all is centered around Jesus and that finished work, the obedient work of what he's done. And, and that's it. All right. So we'll get into this and you're going to hear some things. If you've listened to the sermons, you're going to hear, hear some repeats and then, you know, it's just going to, be sort of point by point instead of a full-on like sermon type of thing okay so this area in galatia is a region right it's not a city uh it's a region so 
it would have multiple places in it. But to, today, that is present-day southern Turkey, all right? And Paul went here. He's been here during all three of his missionary trips or journeys, all right? Um, traveling through Galatia, Galatia was actually required when headed to Greece or Rome if you were going there from Judea, all right? So um, among the cities of Galatia that Paul visited, that's mentioned in the book of Acts. There's Antioch and Derby and uh, Lystra and Iconium. And this is probably one of his first, his earlier letters, and it probably wrote it after his first uh, trip and somewhere in the late 40s. It could be 49 or something. I'm not sure what I said in the first sermon in the intro, <laughs> but it's because there's different takes on that. We don't have complete accuracy when it comes to the dating all right but it is one of his earliest letters okay now if you there was a lot of a lot of references to the book of acts and it's for good reason a lot of the timeline can be pinned down when you go through acts all right so there's the council of jerusalem that takes place there all right and there's this meeting of peter and paul and others and to resolve how the jewish church and the gentile church were to actually coexist okay now in those earliest days, Christians were Jewish and Samaritan. After Paul began, uh, began his ministry, the church quickly started to grow and become Gentile. And this was causing significant friction and leading to these false teachings or these compromises that intended to ease the integration of the Gentiles into the church. All right. And that experience is an important really important moment in within the church history and um a lot of that comes in chapter chapter two so um we'll get to that when we get to it so after each trip through the region paul would return uh to either jerusalem or to his home uh base in anti antioch of syria and it's probably could be where he wrote this letter. So Paul hears that Jews who claimed to be Christian were moving throughout the region of Galatia and they're spreading this false teaching. All right. We call them Judaizers because the core of their message was that a Gentile must become a Jew in order to be saved. All right. They also said that even after one receives Christ, a Gentile must then continue in observing the law of Moses. So it's a lot like the Gnostics. We've studied the Gnostics some in the uh, in Jude, um, and a little bit in Colossians, which was you know it's um, a, somewhat assumed when it comes to Colossians. But like the Gnostics, this teaching had this potential uh, obvious uh, corruption to to spread into the church and then undermine the, the spread of the gospel. And what it does is negate it. So Paul, he's concerned, and he writes this letter to counter those false teachers, okay? So it's a simple letter. It defends the true gospel of grace. And Paul is writing to accomplish three goals. He's going to defend his authority as an apostle. He's going to defend salvation by grace through faith alone. And then he wants to encourage Galatian believers to stand firm in the truth that they had received by his instruction so right off it's paul in one one 
Paul an apostle. It's not sent from man, nor through agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. It's 1 through 5. Paul is introducing himself, and it's a very conventional Greek practice, the salutation that goes there, all right? Uh, like we begin with dear or to whom it may concern, this is a certain pattern that was in the first century of writing, all right? There's a statement of the writer's identity. The audience is then identified, and then there's a statement of greeting, greeting that's offered, and often it would just be the word greeting, or, you know? So he identifies himself as an apostle, okay? This introduces Paul's first purpose in writing and defense of his apostolic authority. Now, most of his letters include a statement of his apostleship, and there's good reason why Paul often would begin his letters this way, all right? No apostle saw his authority questioned more than the apostle Paul, all right? The 12 apostles were unique in having served Jesus while in his ministry, in the flesh. Paul did not have that privilege. Paul was well known as the man who persecuted the church and tried to destroy it as well, all right? The first Christian martyr fell at Paul's feet. So Paul's adversaries took every opportunity to cast doubt on his authority to teach any sort of doctrine whatsoever all right um so this is also just a good segue that there's no apostles today paul was the last jesus appeared to him lastly one untimely born and um, anyone claiming to have apostolic authority or to be an apostle cannot fill the requirements that has been laid out which is in acts chapter one so Paul's teaching on the meaning then um, also is uh, of the gospel and the fundamental doctrines of faith were far beyond what other apostles were actually teaching in <laughs> that day. All right. Paul was given knowledge to share with the church that that like what no other apostle had received, including those who actually accompanied Jesus. So as critics made this case that his position of authority was one he took upon himself or that men granted him. And they said Paul's ideals were so far beyond anyone else's teachings that that had to have been the case, all right? So even the apostle Paul, uh, Peter acknowledged that Paul was in a league of his own when it came to actually revealing God's word. This is in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. It says, regard the patience, uh, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. All right. So. Paul has actually received some revelation that seems to be hard to understand, even that Peter wants to acknowledge this and say, just, okay, it's hard, but uh, 
Stick with it. <laughs> so Paul begins the greetings, right? And, um, and he, ta- he takes ex- extra effort to remind his audiences that his apostleship was no less authentic than any other. Right? He was appointed to his position as an apostle by Christ personally, he says, which is uh, the way every apostle gained his office, which is why it doesn't happen today. The criteria to be an apostle is that you have been appointed by Christ in person, called by him to be an apostle. The 12 received that calling before Jesus died. Paul received it after Jesus was resurrected. All right, so Paul was sent by God the Father and the Son with the message he delivered. So if we accept that Paul was called by Jesus personally, and if he was sent by God to bring a message, then we must also accept that his message then is in or is consistent with God's will in the rest of scriptures, the whole council. All right. Now, and, and this is why the book of Acts is important. Many would say that Acts is actually largely to validate Paul's calling and his ministry, his teaching of the gospel, much in the same way that we have Jesus's ministry explained and validated in the gospels. All right. So Paul's ministry uh, is, is explained and then validated by the record of Acts. We know Luke wrote that. Um, some say that that was the testimony to be given to the court upon uh, Paul's behalf. All right. So the next thing then Paul introduces in verses three and four is a defense of the gospel of grace. And he states that we are saved from our sins by Christ giving himself for us. All right. Which is we are saved by grace. And that's it. Right. <laughs> that grace gave us peace with God. Grace came as a matter of the will of God. And this uh, is the salvation that Paul has been preaching everywhere. So salvation is a matter of God's grace alone and nothing else. If someone comes and claims that any work is required for that salvation, then they have actually changed and then perverted or distorted the gospel message. All right. Men receive grace. They receive peace and salvation. They do not earn it. They do not retain it. They don't even ask for it. Some some will say that's pretty uh, pretty hardcore there. All right, but retaining it, we don't keep ourselves in it either. This is biblical. All right, and then Paul introduces his final theme that Christians are to stand firm in the peace that comes from the true gospel. All right, this is in four and five. He he says that the true gospel rescues us from the evil of this present age, which to me then I've stated in the sermons was at that time at the closing of the end of the age that was coming upon them, the ending, um, the ending of the mosaic covenant age. All right. So when we, but the, the larger point here is that when we receive the gospel, we are born again. We are become new creations And that spiritual change separates us from the sin of the world, the deadness of the world, and the ignorance of it. We're set apart from the evil that we were dead in, all right, because we were spiritually dead, born dead in our trespasses and sin. But we are set apart from it then as we live around it as these born-again believers. We are also set apart 
than for what's to come in eternal life, that we are rescued from judgment and uh, we will not share in the fate of unbelievers who will remain dead and then receive eternal death. Okay, so notice then if God's if God's grace has rescued us from the world around us and from any judgment, then what more is required than that grace we have received? Nothing. That's Paul's point. The gospel of grace grants us everything we need for our life now, tomorrow, a month from now, a year from now, 20 years from now until we pass on and go into the, the next realm. All right. That's the whole point. Um, it's given us everything. It's granted us everything. It's the source of our sanctification. It's the source of our justification. Nothing else is required. So having reminded all of those at Galatia of what it means to receive the gospel, Paul then goes right into this, this cannonball, just goes right at it, throwing the punch, if you will. Okay. And uh, that's what happens. I pointed out that he does not give thanks <laughs> for them. He, he just goes right into it in verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel, contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Okay. Paul is opens a rebuke. He's just opening a, a whole can here, asking how they have departed so fast, so quickly from the truth that he delivered to them. He is amazed. He is astonished. It means to marvel or wonder in the Greek. He simply cannot believe that they have changed their view of the gospel so easily to be persuaded so fast. All right. And he says that the church is deserting Christ. All right. He's going to speak in these terms at several points throughout this letter. And to abandon the gospel is to abandon Christ. All right. They are abandoning the one who called them by grace. All right. So where are they turning? Well, they're turning to a different gospel. All right. To be clear, Paul adds that a different gospel is not really another gospel at all. It's nothing. All right. The word gospel means good news. Paul says a different gospel is not good news at all. It's bad. It's bad news. All right. So in studies of false teaching, right? If you look at through Jude, if you go through John, uh, John's letters as well, you can note that over and over again, the false teachers always attack the heart of the faith. That's what they do. They bring an alternative preaching. They bring an alternative gospel, whereas the true apostles made the gospel the center of all their preaching. All right. Take note of that. This isn't just first century Bible stuff in the first, like the beginning of the church. The true apostles made the gospel the center of their preaching. False teachers make some other point 
their focus. They always do. They may uh, season it, if you will, or garnish it throughout with little bits of gospel stuff, a little bit of Jesus here and there, a little bit of agape love, a little bit of whatever sounds good that they know is going to be familiar to you. But their main point will always be some other point besides the gospel. And that will be their focus. All right. Maybe instead of being saved from eternal death, they're going to say that you're going to receive wealth and health instead of uh, resurrecting a dead spot, uh, your uh, dead spirits. Right. Maybe they're going to say they want to repair your physical body. All right. They substitute a different outcome for the one true gospel or for the one that the true gospel offers. It's always something different. It's always a heavily focused. It starts to tilt. If you have checks and balances, it will start to outweigh what the gospel says. There may be messages of identity, things that are good and things that are biblical of who you are as a saint being placed in union with Jesus. But overall, if it becomes wealth, if it becomes health, if it becomes decreeing, declaring, um, casting out demons or prince, spiritual warfare or um, signs and wonders, eventually the gospel gets weighed down with those things. That becomes their central focus. All right. They say it's time to move on from that. That's the basic. Let's go deeper. We have received greater revelation than others before ha- us have received. Okay. So they, they substitute a different outcome. All right. They aren't preaching that we become saved by faith in Jesus. And then the Lord may choose uh, to bless us in however he chooses to bless us due to his sovereignty. Right. They set aside the issue of sin uh, and the need for that eternal salvation altogether. And they'll move to other topics. And any message then that substitutes the true gospel becomes a false gospel. All right. So when we say gospel, all right. We have to understand what that is, what truth then we are describing, okay? And, you know, we should be able to explain it. And there's different ways, all right? I've already done this several times before, uh, but we sh- every believer should be able to, to explain the gospel. Otherwise, like, you know, w- we are ripe for someone to convince us that the gospel is something else other than what it truly is, all right? That way you need to know it's the truth. Paul was amazed at how quickly they abandoned the gospel in Galatia, providing that it's easy to succumb to a false message, right? If we are not continually, uh, or he's proving it's easy to succumb. If we are not continually reminded of the truth, therefore we have to know what the gospel is before we can know what it is not. All right. The gospel is, is the message of salvation. It's the good news that men may be forgiven of their sins, reconciled to the Father. It's a message that's centered on the person and on the work of Jesus. And it comes in uh, two distinct parts. It begins with repentance from dead works. All right. Repentance is a work that God himself accomplishes in the hearts of those he saves because he grants them faith. He gives them he. Uh, uh, He uh, gives them that gift. He gives them faith. All right. 
And so this godly repentance then leads a person to turn away from a life that's set apart from God. All right. To turn from sin to, of unbelief, to acknowledge the need of being saved for salvation. All right. And elsewhere, Paul teaches that this repentance is indeed a product of God's will. And that would be in 2 Corinthians 7.10. It says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. All right? So that's what it is. Repentance is a work that God himself accomplishes in the hearts of those who he saves. The gospel also proclaims that we are saved by faith in Jesus, which also um, is also given to us by this gift of grace. We believe and confess that Jesus is Lord, that he died to pay uh, for our sin. And, you know, when you get into the atonement, it's the dead of sin or the ransom or any of those terms. But ultimately, he died to pay for that that record of debt that was against us, imputed to us from the our, our earthly father the head of all humanity adam jesus was then resurrected to demonstrate his power over death and elsewhere paul explains that this faith is also okay this faith is also a product of god's grace for any of you that's been following along and listening to me um, for the last few months you're gonna notice that i have been and it's been longer than that but that all of this is God's work. It's not of ours. And, you know, I don't, I'm not willing to die on the hill of if repentance is a work or not or anything like that. And then if one says it is, then, then the person wasn't saved. I'm not getting that Calvinist on you guys, but this certainly is the, the receiving of faith the, and repenting and all that is the work of God. It's all from his grace. All right. So Paul explains this in Ephesians 2, 8, and nine for by grace you have been saved through faith and that that not of yourselves it is the gift of god not as a result of works so that no one may boast all right so by god's grace we are brought to our knees uh in recognition of our sins before god knowing that we are spiritually dead yet by that same grace we are made to stand by faith in the righteousness of christ in union this is the the true gospel there's nothing more there's nothing less now we have we were dead now we're recreated we're new creations we're born again and we are uh eternally alive now everything else we learn in god's word is connected in some way to furthering this message but nothing in god's word changes the gospel or adds to it okay we cannot we can't add or, or we can't add water baptism, um, speaking in tongues, certain types of prayers, uh, circumcision ceremonies, uh, membership, or anything of that. None of that is uh, is relevant to the gospel that saves you. It's not right. The Pentecostal distinctive of being filled with the Spirit. Um, and speaking in tongues, only when that happens then you're truly saved. It, that's why it's called a Pentecostal distinctive, because it's not biblical. Um, 
I, okay, I won't go any further, okay? Now, sometimes you'll see churches claiming to teach the actual full gospel, okay? Now, if they're teaching the full gospel, and I'm not coming against people who have that in their names, like full gospel Baptist church or whatever, but some will say, you're going to get the full gospel here. You're going to get the full message, all of the truth here. That That is sometimes a red flag, okay, <laughs> for, uh, for the way that they are distorting the gospel, all right? We uh, we cannot look outside the Bible to find any sort of new information to complement or change this truth. We can't look backward into the Old Testament and find extra obligations to add to this truth. All right. The Gnostics, they were looking outside the Bible for knowledge to add to the gospel. The Judaizers were returning to the Old Testament to add obligations to it. OK, so n- none of that works. None of that fits. And then Paul says that these churches in Galatia were being disturbed by men who wanted to distort the gospel in this way. The Judaizers, okay, they're the false teachers. They fully intended to change Paul's message, all right? This was not an accident. It was not a misunderstanding. It was completely on purpose, all right? Distort literally means to twist or turn around. They were manipulating the message to move it into a completely different direction. All right. The false teachers are unbelievers. All right. These unbelievers, they do not understand the very things they are uh, presuming to teach. They claimed that what Paul taught was not complete. All right. When the church heard this message, then it disturbed them. It not only confused them concerning the true gospel, but then it left them doubting everything else that Paul taught. All right. It also questions the unity that goes on between Paul and the other apostles. So if Paul was wrong, then what value could there be in anything that Paul said? Right. He came to us and gave us this first message. What about all the other things that he said and that he has done? So Paul draws this line, he's very hard-lined here, between himself and them. And he says, if anyone offers a different message than the one that I have given you, even if it's an angel, they are to be accursed, all right? Accursed is to be damned, it means damnable. Paul says, by definition, if someone holds to something that's different than what I have presented to you, that one has then been reserved for judgment, all right? Uh, Not even an angelic being appears with this other gospel. All right. Um, But if they if they were, then they should be considered accursed as well. Now, does Paul really think an angel would come and present them another gospel? I don't know. It's probably hyperbole, um, but we don't have to get into that. All right. But another word for an accursed angel is demon. All right. So there's that. All right, an angel then declaring a gospel (laughs) other than the true gospel is to be understood as a demon, is Paul's point. All right, now the the Mormon faith is like that. It begins with the story of an angel delivering a different gospel than the one that Paul delivered. All right, there's plenty of other uh, traditions that rely on stories of angels um, or some sort of supernatural beings um, were to we are expected to be given additional credence to, to supernatural messengers. And there's a lot of stuff in the new age that's been mixing with the charismatic and the church about our, these angels. And we should be receiving things from these angels. Okay. 
Uh, Paul says here, then they are to be accursed. They are demonic. The, the Bible says we are to give them no credit when they try to change the gospel message. All right. And Paul repeats this statement twice. All right. He, he repeats it again. So uh, of all of all things, Paul has uh, said in his writings, he reserved his strongest statement to condemning uh, the preaching of false gospels. And the rest of the first chapter then is devoted to Paul providing his, the background on how he came to know the truth and to share it with the church. All right. He wants them to have the full confidence that he is speaking with the authority of the Lord. So starting in 10, uh, we'll go 10, 11 and 12 here. And he says, for, I, for, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to, pl- to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus. So he just asks a simple question. Was his purpose in preaching to please these people or to, and to gain their favor? He's arguing to the Galatians that his motive in preaching is pure. He did not care to please them. He did not play or care to gain their favor. Men who tell lies do so for self-interest um, and self-motive. They want some sort of self-gain. They want to gain something with their lies that the truth couldn't gain them on its own because they don't have truth to offer. Paul was, uh, if Paul was lying to the Galatians, he asked what possible motive would he have in preaching a lie? All right. And then he says, did I, did I, did my preaching win the favor of men? All right, so when Paul taught throughout Galatia and then in, in Asia Minor, he was pursued by Jews the entire way. They were seeking to kill him. They were persecuting him at every step. He was thrown out of synagogues. He was chased uh, out of town uh, by the Roman soldiers. Th- these were enlisted by Jewish leaders. He was... Uh, he, he, at one point, almost naked, hungry, thirsty, all that in 1 Corinthians 4, he had absolutely no incentive to lie because it didn't make his life any easier at all, all right? If he wanted to please men, he said he would not be a slave of Jesus, okay? So since his motive in preaching was not to gain any favor of men, Paul explains how he came to preach his message, okay? So Paul heard Look, Paul heard the gospel preached to him. <clears throat> um, we have to consider the statement, all right? That that he 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 heard the gospel preached to him not by the not by mouth of man, but by Jesus. Paul says the gospel was not preached to him by any man. Yet we have the story of Stephen in Acts seven. In Acts seven, Stephen's confronted by the Pharisees and an angry uh, Jewish mob which claims he was preaching heresy. In his defense, Stephen presents uh, the summary of how the Old Testament preaches Jesus from the beginning. And at the end of his speech, he declares that, but being full, it's Acts 7, 55, 56, 
being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently in the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. All right, at this at this point, these declarations made by Stephen, they drive the Jewish crowd to attack him and stone him to death, even as as Stephen prays for their forgiveness. All this is taking place. The Pharisees watch and approve this uh, this event that takes place. And the Pharisees is described in verse 58. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Okay, so a man who would become known as the Apostle Paul is listening Maybe we can assume we don't know listening to the gospel preached by a man, but this is outside. He said, driven them out of the city. So you have to, we can only make assumptions here. Um, so did he hear it or did he not? Don't really know. No, it doesn't matter though, because he actually approved Stephen stoning. Um, then if you go into the beginning of chapter eight of acts, it says Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. All right. So whether he heard it or not, we don't know if he did. He did not believe it. It only caused him to act in greater opposition to the message. It only made him hate it more and seek to destroy it even more. So Paul demonstrates in his own life the spiritual truth of what the gospel of grace actually rebirth or birth, not rebirth, but you know, we're born again, but births in us. Paul says the gospel was not preached to him by a man at all. He says it was Jesus. All right. Yet we know he was around here, um, around these people around Stephen and could have heard it, but it was, he was outside the city. So again, I know I'm repeating myself. I'm just saying this. All right. These are, can be, questions or things that people could bring up to say well what about this all right that's why you let scripture interpret scripture okay paul is demonstrating that the gospel is a matter of grace that's why it's known as the gospel of grace all right until the lord actually determines to penetrate us or you know uh invite or just stumble into our lives (laughs) uninvited as i have said in sermons until he determines that to grant us repentance of that faith, right? The gift, that gift of faith, then the message literally bounces off our heart, which is hard. Okay. It may even cause us to be angry. It may cause us to uh, be offended because it assaults our pride. It, it goes after our self-righteousness and we don't like this. All right. When it's finally time, that call of the gospel is then met with repentance and faith, and that's all done by the work and the will of God. So now Paul goes and gives his testimony, all right? And this is his first defense against his accusers. This is verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I use, used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. 
and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased, he was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, who was Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of uh, Syria and uh, Sicilia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Now, this finishes chapter one. All right. So there's several points. Paul gives his personal testimony in the book of Acts. <clears throat> we have that full story in Acts nine, but not, none offer the details that Paul actually gives here in Galatians. All right. So he reminds he reminds the church of his former life uh, as the Pharisee. He, he lived a life according to the manner of Judaism. And he 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 speaks this living this living this life in a past tense. Okay, so he's not saying he's no longer a Jew, but rather he has no longer uh, he's no longer living a life that is uh, controlled by Judaism. All right, his point is that a true Jew moves to follow the Lord as the Lord reveals more truth. So when the gospel was revealed in Jesus. A true Jew would leave behind the old ways of Judaism to follow Christ. All right. Um, being a good, faithful Jew is not about following the Mosaic law. All right. Being a faithful Jew is following the Lord. All right. So until Paul knew the truth, he was living in accordance to a distorted, uh, manufactured lifestyle called Judaism. And the reason why I want to say distorted and manufactured, because the Pharisees, <clears throat> let's just take a moment to just point out that people want to say, today want to say, relig, you know, if you're religious, then you're a Pharisee, okay? You're just like the religious people of the days that Jesus lived. And that couldn't be farther from the truth, all right? The Pharisees, they, they, they did not uphold the law of God uh, as much as they did the oral tradition or the traditions of man, which is known as the Talmud, they held that higher. Every time they're trying to accuse Jesus and his disciples of breaking the law, it wasn't the actual law of Moses that you will find in the Old Testament. It was the oral laws, the traditions of men, the extras, the stipulations that they had put on, that they had manufactured and then distorted the actual law of Moses by, okay? That's what they were trying to accuse uh, Jesus of breaking. So they're full-on hypocrites. They had got so far away from God and the law 
that they did not even serve him anymore. They served themselves. They were whitewashed tombs. They were a brood of vipers. They, uh, they were fake. They were completely fake. They, they didn't even know God anymore. So more, so much that, that, uh, Jesus says they are, uh, they're not sons of Abraham, that he could raise sons of Abraham up from the rocks or the stones, but they weren't anymore. They were so far away from it that they were now of their father, the devil. All right. So think twice before you call somebody uh, religious or a Pharisee actually know what that means. Okay. Because <laughs> they're not believers at all. Okay. He was like, Paul was then, okay. He was an unbelieving Jew. Okay. Because of this, he tried to destroy the very thing that was from God even as he supposed that he was a man following God. All right. That's the classic state of mind of every religious unbeliever. Religious unbelievers are convinced that they have the truth, even as they oppose Christianity, which is religious truth. Okay. Because Christianity is still religious. It is religion. All right. So their zealousness will often lead them to become persecutors of true believers. All right. Um, it happens today, all right, in Islam and Catholicism. Um, that happened during the Reformation. It was also among the Roman pagans and then the Jews of Paul's days as well. So Paul's point is reminding the church of his former state, all right? And that point is to make clear that Paul would have been the last person to naturally choose to accept Christ and begin preaching the gospel. His former life... Uh, itself is a testimony of the transformation of the power of God. No one who knew the old Saul could ever imagine that he could become this advocate for the gospel in any way, shape or form. All right. So it, it goes to issue to the issue of credibility. Paul traded in a position of honor and power that was within the Jewish culture to preach a message that he formerly hated and wanted to destroy which would get him persecuted. All right. So in verse 14, he says that his life in Judaism was, was going, he was excelling. He was advancing beyond his peers. He had everything to lose by turning his back on that way of life. All right. He was selected to carry the letters to, to arrest Christians in Damascus. All right. Which was a choice assignment. Paul uh, presu presumably would have been the first person to advocate uh, for Gentile Christians to pursue a Jewish way of life were it necessary. But, or because Paul himself was an expert in that lifestyle, but he advocated uh, uh, for ancestral traditions, not for the gospel, right? In, in that lifestyle. So Paul's past demonstrates Again, the power of the gospel to change hearts and to change lives. Paul proves no one is beyond God's reach. There's no human explanation here for this. It was a miracle, all right, as it is every time that a person comes to faith. It's a work of God. But at the same time, the gospel is foolishness to those who are hard-hearted and who are perishing in uh, eternal spiritual death leaving us then to conclude that salvation is, in fact, a work of God alone.
All right. All right. So the next part of Paul's story then reflects how that grace works. It starts with the plan and the will of God to save a person that the Lord had actually set Paul apart from his mother's womb. All right. This apart is, uh, it means to set a boundary around that Paul was marked, uh, from birth to fill this role in God's plan in his providence. Paul saying that his mission to serve Christ was something that God assigned to Paul from the beginning of his life. So not just his physical birth, but his spiritual birth as well. God chose him. All right. Um, all, all, all of this um, was him. That's his point that he is making. Now, uh, we, we have all been set apart in the same way, according to Paul in another letter in Ephesians 1, uh, 4 and 5. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ uh, to, a, to himself according to the kind intention of his will. So all believers are marked out for this call to faith that comes in their life at some point, right? We're called, um, and whether you want to call it predestined or elect, it doesn't matter, but we are called by God to be adopted by him through faith in Jesus. These things happen according to God's will and his plan. All right, this is what Paul's saying here to uh, all of those in Galatia. Paul was set apart and then on an appointed day called by grace. That call was the call of the gospel. And it was only in Paul's case that that the presentation of the gospel was made by Jesus himself. All right, Paul, Paul says the Lord revealed the son in Paul, not to Paul. Paul's point is that the revelation of the truth of Jesus is made in our hearts or in our minds by the power of the Spirit. It's not made as an argument that we process intellectually and then receive it as we might uh, might receive some other instruction. It's not like that. Salvation is an inside-out process rather than an outside-in process. All right. Paul says then that God directed Paul to preach to the Gentiles. Luke describes this uh, commissioning that happened to Paul by Jesus in this way in Acts 9, 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul's testimony reflects Jesus' own words. Paul was God's chosen instrument to preach to Gentiles and to suffer in that process. His life was very unique (laughs) in so many ways, but but his experience of being called to faith and appointed to serve Jesus is not unique at all because all of us, every believer is called into faith so we can serve Christ. And Paul says in Romans 12, 12 then that we are to present our bodies as the, as living holy sacrifices to God. Now, Paul's service was unique, but service to God is the call for every Christian from, from, from uh, the beginning till through all of time. All right, so Paul then turns the question 
of his training and knowledge to how did Paul come to know what he shared with the churches. And he begins at the end of 16 by saying he did not immediately consult with any men. He uh, literally it's flesh and blood to make clear that he did not receive anything from any human being. Paul was traveling uh, in North Judea when he was uh, uh, struck blind and then saved and born again. But he says his first destination was not to meet any other apostles in Jerusalem. Uh, If he had, he would likely he likely would have not been received given his recent history. If this would only be a few days after this incident recorded in Acts. So instead, Paul goes to Arabia and he he refer Arabia refers to a vast desert wilderness. That's uh, modern day uh, Saudi Arabia. All right. Uh, he probably he went home. We don't know exactly what he's uh, doing there, as I've gone over in in in, in the sermons. Uh, but. As I stated in those. In that sermon, he probably was searching over the Old Testament, his eyes being, his heart, his mind, his eyes being open and enlightened to Jesus being there through every bit of it, just as Jesus revealed to uh, the men on the road to Emmaus. All right. Um, now, was Jesus teaching him? As Jesus had struck him blind and spoke to him and gave the revelation uh, of you know to him, um, some. Some speculate this and some believe it, and it could be. And I was asked that question after the sermon. We just don't know. Um, and it could be that time that when in Second Corinthians, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, right? Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. We don't know if this is the time that he received all of his teaching or not. Uh, it makes more sense that he would have just been studying and pouring over the scriptures and being like, whoa, mind blown. Why didn't I see this before? So there's that. Okay. So um, point though, being that when a person comes to faith in Christ, the, the, the most important first step that they can take in their walk and their relationship with the Lord is to study God's word. All right. To go away, spend time learning the faith that God has given them. Uh, to build a solid foundation of doctrine and understanding really is first and foremost, and to surround yourself with believers that know these things and can help you grow in these things and understanding. If we do that, we're going to be much better to, uh, to, to serve Christ and to, to walk this life out. If we neglect it, we may step into arrogance, um, but we're also going to be walking in a lot of ignorance. All right. And, and because of that, we could do more harm than good in a lot of cases. So Paul was called by God and prepared and trained by him through the word, uh, we presume. And then Paul says he talked to virtually no one else before he began preaching the gospel to Gentiles. It was only after first returning to Damascus and uh, doing ministry for three years that Paul eventually goes to Jerusalem to meet Peter. And he goes there simply to become acquainted with Peter, not to be trained by him or not to be mentored by him. There's 15 days there. It's not enough time for Paul to have been trained it, it, in any case whatsoever. Um, 
And he says he was walking the streets. He was there preaching. All right. So other than Peter, Paul only met James. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So he had virtually no exposure to the men who learned from Christ. And from there, Paul direct, goes directly to Asia Minor to preach. So as Paul enters the into those regions, he was such an unknown person, all right, that men only knew him from his past, all right? They assumed he was coming to kill the Christians, to kill them. So when he preached the gospel, instead, when he showed up, naturally, they were all shocked, all right? His point in all this is to demonstrate that his ministry as an apostle was not a product of men, not even of the other apostles. He's not a part of any sort of conspiracy to deliver a lie to the churches in this region. He is not an apostle wannabe that left Jerusalem for better prospects and better favor and gain or anything like that. His authority did not extend from, uh, um, uh, from the entities of Peter or James because he was an apostle before meeting these two men. Paul was a man called, trained, and commissioned directly by the Lord. And that's it. So Paul ends by emphasizing that his past as a uh, persecutor of the church and as a man saved by Christ, trained by God, And that it was a part of God's plan to bring glory to his name because the miraculous nature of his turn, um, uh, his turnaround was part of the whole storyline. Right. And so therefore they're glorifying his name. Uh, He he did not arrive at the at, at at a place because he was threatened. Or because men had persuaded him, all right? From beginning to end, this entire process came by the hand of God. So the message to the church was clear. If God can act in this way to convert a man like me, to put him to use for the sake of this gospel of Jesus, then the church is in good hands. Men could understand that Jesus was caring for his church. And Paul was making Uh, making clear that his role was one that God authored, one that God directed and God instructed. And as Paul moved into ministry in this way, he soon found himself correcting even other apostles to ensure that they were all teaching and preaching the gospel accurately as well, which is what we'll see as we start to move into chapter two, as Paul explains how he, he, has defended the the true gospel from the very beginning. All right, there's another episode. There's a nice summary of chapter one of Galatians for you guys. Any questions, comments, disagreements, feel free to send them my way at the Kingdom Project Podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, be a mustard seed, be leaven. Thanks for listening.